1922, Albert Einstein was delivered a message from a bellboy. The story goes that he didn't have a tip, so he just wrote down a theory of happiness and gave it to the young man. This artifact recently sold for $1.5 million, but the advice written on the paper is priceless. What he said in the message was this, a calm and modest life brings more happiness than the constant pursuit of success combined with constant restlessness. Mr. Special Relativity himself, arguably the smartest man who ever lived, says that a peaceful mind and a peaceful life is the key to happiness. This goes against many of our ideas about happiness in our society. They constantly tell us you have to get this and get that and, and strive if you want to be happy. But I will explain quickly with a metaphor why Einstein is totally correct. Say I wanted these shoes, these new Jordans, right? A lot of people like joy, like Jays, right? I craved these shoes. I needed them. I, I started comparing my old Nikes to these J's. I started seeing everybody with them. I was, I was miserable. And then one day, I finally got them. And I was so happy. Now the question is, did the J's make me happy or was it the release from the craving of the J's that made me happy? It was the release. There's nothing in Jordans that can make you happy. We often think that, that, that it's shoes, that awards, that accolades, can make us happy. But actor Jim Carrey said that I wish that everybody could be rich and famous so that they can see for themselves that that's not the answer. So let's take note of the wisdom from the great Albert Einstein. Let's stop and smell the roses and try to live a calm and modest life. That is, if you want to be happy. Peace. Mm. How many in here want to be happy? Yeah. Well, we're uh, thrilled to start a new series today called The Story of My Life. I love that title because it can take on different meanings, right? Like some of you, when you hear that title, you think, oh, that's, that's wonderful. This is about the story of my life. Like that my life is like a story. It's like an adventure story, right? And then some of you, maybe a lot of you are like, yeah, story of my life, right? <laughs> and, and you feel that way. But we want to talk for the next six weeks really about the story of our life, the story of each one of our lives, which is such an amazing gift that God has given to each one of us. And today I want to talk to you for a few minutes about chasing happy. Because there's something in all of us that, you know, we, we want to be happy. That's, there's nothing wrong with that desire. So I want to talk to you about the goodness of chasing happy and where we can really find, where we can really find happiness and also some of the myths that come along with what we think will bring us happiness and some of the myths that we buy into. And if we can avoid those myths or recognize them in our own life, maybe we can lean into the fullness that God has for us. I think this is going to be a great journey that we're going to be on over the next six weeks, and our lives will unfold uh, in the next six weeks, and we will discover some amazing new things that God has for each one of us. The Scripture says, Jesus speaking in John 10, 10 and 11, he said this, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now Claire mentioned that, that in the, in the uh, King James Version, they use the word abundant life. 
Because really, that's obviously, it's a Greek term there, that fullness of life or abundant life. And abundant probably is a more precise term, closer to the term that's used here. It's really beyond just fullness. It's abundant. It's, it's full. And it speaks to this issue of that God does really, he gives us all a full life, an abundant life, an extraordinary life. And when you see people live into abundant life and live it in a way that you sense is at least, we don't know this about each other, but you, you look at certain people and you think, you know, they seem to live an abundant life, an extraordinary life. There seems to be a happiness, a real authentic happiness that resonates in their life. It's an extraordinary life they seem to be living. And we look at that and we think that's an amazing thing and we desire that for ourselves and perhaps we feel like we're living an abundant life. And I think God desires that kind of extraordinary life for all of us. But it's interesting because as the crowd was listening to Jesus say this, uh, I don't think that they were really getting so much what he was saying when he started to talk about the thief comes to steal, and then I have come that you would have full life or abundant life. In other words, I desire that there would be a happiness that is in your life, that there would be this underlying happiness, this joy that goes on in your life. But then they get it a little bit more deeply when he says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. They start, it's almost like a light bulb starts to go off in some of their heads because they realize, they understood. We don't understand as much about shepherds, most of us, if not all of us, but they understood that language. And what they knew Jesus was saying was, a good shepherd will literally sacrifice everything for their sheep. In other words, a good shepherd wants goodness to be realized in their life. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, I am totally for you. What he said to them and what he says to us is that he's totally for us. Now, when it comes to chasing happiness or happy, when it comes to chasing happy, we run into some problems. Certainly, God isn't opposed to us being happy, right? He's not opposed to us. He, he, I think that God takes a lot of pleasure in the fact that we have happiness in our life. But the pursuit of happiness is, and the chasing of happiness is where the problem comes in. If our focus is on being happy as opposed to our focus being on and our chase being on a chase toward God, that's when we run into problems. See, when our, when our chase is toward God, what ends up happening, the scripture clearly tells us, is the pursuit of God really can bring deep happiness in our life, an authentic, real happiness. Jesus clearly tells us that we're called to pursue him, called to pursue God, called to pursue God's kingdom. He says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto you. All of these things would include happiness. That happiness, underlying happiness in our lives comes from seeking first God and his righteousness and his kingdom. That's interesting. There's a lot of misconceptions about God, certainly in our own lives or maybe in, certainly in culture there's a lot. For instance, there's things that God didn't say that we hear or maybe we even think were said. 
God, for instance, never said that he would give us more than we could handle. Do you know that? That's not anything that God ever said. As a matter of fact, I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of times that I've had more than I can handle. Haven't you? Haven't you even said that to yourself? This is a little bit more than I can handle, right? I know my wife has said that a few times. I've heard her say that. If, if, if we could handle everything on our own, for instance, then we wouldn't need God to help us handle things. Here's another one, that God doesn't care what you do. Really? God doesn't care what I do? I think God does care what I do. Or this one, just believe what you want to believe. As long as you're sincere, God's good with that. And those from down south would say, bless your heart, if you believe that. And what that really means is, you are and you fill in the blank. Bless your heart. If you believe, all you need to be is sincere, and God is okay with that. I have been sincerely wrong many times, and I don't think that pleased God for me to be sincerely wrong. And then this myth that we want to talk about when it comes to chasing happy is the myth of God always wants you and me to be happy. There are myths when it comes to happiness, and this is a big one. The myth that God always, at all times, wants you and wants, wants me to be happy. There are what I would call kind of foundational pillars or myths of happiness. The theology of happy. The first one would be whatever makes me happy is right and whatever makes me unhappy is wrong. Well, we know that. If we just step back, we know that that's wrong, right? We know that we know that this is just a fallacy, that whatever I like or whatever makes me happy is right and whatever makes me unhappy is wrong. Think about the ramifications of this. You would never go to the dentist. Forget the doctor. Forget having surgery when it's needed or going to school. Who in the world would want to go to school? There might be a few of those nut jobs out there, but there's not many of them. How about going to work or going to work when it's really cold out and your car has been sitting out in sub-zero weather all, all evening and all night and some of you are saying, I can't believe that he's bringing up winter. How about paying taxes? Is paying taxes one of those things that you shouldn't do even though it's making you unhappy? Getting out of bed, cleaning your room, cleaning your house, cleaning yourself. When, when a man shaves his beard, when a woman shaves her legs, when a man shaves his legs or a woman shaves her beard, oh, that would be wrong, wouldn't it? Practicing, studying, saving, paying bills, getting my car fixed, doing lawn work, cleaning toilets, painting, painting the children's wing. Cleaning the dog droppings, stepping in the dog droppings that your neighbor's dog dropped. Oh, that's wrong too. But it's a myth. Whatever makes me happy is right, and whatever makes me unhappy is wrong. The second myth, we know that that one's a myth. As a matter of fact, I think most of this is stuff we know if we just pay a little bit more attention to it. The second one is, since God wants me happy, any difficulty can't be God's will. Any difficulty in my life. Because difficulty is related to not being happy, right? Since God wants to make me happy, any delay, therefore, any hardship, inconvenience, struggle, or suffering can't be God's will or desire for my life. Because that doesn't make me happy. 
Paul at one point in his life said this in 2 Corinthians 12, starting with verse 7, he said, Now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved. I think I cut out the wrong scripture. And lest I should be exalted above measure. That did not make me happy. Anyway, this is better. And lest should... Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. In other words, what Paul's saying is, I have really got it together. I mean, God has done some powerful things in my life. I've got revelations from God. I'm, I'm proclaiming the gospel. God's doing amazing things through my life. So lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities and the pow- that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I take pleasure in delays and struggles and difficulties. I take pleasure in it because Paul knows that his destiny is being revealed and formed through the difficulties. Now, you could debate whether or not God sends infirmities. That's not what this scripture says. The scripture says that the infirmity comes from the enemy, but what it says is Paul asks for God to take the infirmity away, and God says, you're going to be good, Paul, because I am forming you into something phenomenal. Think of this. We mentioned Einstein Einstein in the video. Einstein didn't speak until he was four years old. Surfing champion Bethany Hamilton lost her arm that was bitten off by a shark and she almost died at 13. Benjamin Franklin's parents couldn't afford to keep him in school past the age of 10. Richard Branson, the fourth richest person in the United Kingdom, was considered poor in school and has dyslexia. Oprah Winfrey gave birth at 14 after years of molestation. Her son died soon after he was born. Thomas Edison failed at creating a light bulb. Some say 1,000 attempts up to, some say 10,000 attempts. Edison said this. He said, I've not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that it won't work. (laughs) Vincent Van Gogh only sold one painting during his lifetime. President Franklin Roosevelt was partially paralyzed, so he could not walk at the age of 39. Sometimes difficulty comes and it forms us. Our delays, our hardships, our brokenness, the things that aren't given to us as quickly as maybe we would like them to come or maybe never come at all serve as servants to our destiny to taking us to true happiness. The third myth, if I think God always wants me happy, I can become a consumer of pleasure and comfort. See, this is the natural outpouring of if it's God's job to be like an errand boy for me, that eventually it's just about God bringing me pleasure and God bringing me comfort. 
God becomes like a vending machine in my life. Then what I find is I begin to shift instead of seeking the one who can bring pleasure. Pleasure is not a bad thing. God has given us the gift of pleasure, goodness. It's, it's something to be celebrated. But when we seek the, the one that is the giver of pleasure, then those things get released. I would contend that you could never experience pleasure and happiness at the depth you can experience it outside of God because God is the one that releases pleasure. Pleasure outside of God leaves a huge void and an emptiness. And what it begins to happen is we begin to shift and we begin to pursue the comfort and the pleasures outside of God. And we try to fill our lives with things that are at best temporary. Eugene Peterson, the writer of the Message Version Bible, he puts it this way. If we are a nation of consumers, obviously the quickest and most effective way to get people into our church is to identify what they want and offer it to them. Satisfy their fantasies, promise them the moon, recast the gospel in consumer terms. Give them entertainment and satisfaction, excitement, adventure, problem solving, whatever. This is the language we Americans have grown up on. This is the language we understand. We are the world's champion consumers, so why wouldn't we have state-of-the-art consumer churches? There is only one thing wrong. This isn't the way in which God brings us into conformity with the life of Jesus and sets us on the way of Jesus' salvation. This isn't the way in which we become less and Jesus becomes more. This is not the way in which our sacrificed lives become available to others in justice and service. The cultivation of consumer spirituality is an antithesis of a sacrificial deny-yourself congregation. A consumer church, these are strong words by Peterson, a consumer church is an antichrist church. The point being this is God fills our life with pleasure. God gives us amazing things. He blesses us in every way. Jesus himself said it this way. He said, do not worry in Matthew 6, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. As we pursue God, as we put him first in our lives, pleasures untold are released in our lives. True, lasting, underlying happiness resonates in the soul of the person that is in pursuit of God. Myth number four is a myth that I lived the first 18 years of my life. I considered this like at the top of my happiness myth list because the truth is, in a way, all of us are in a quest for happiness. And there's really nothing wrong with that. The issue is how we pursue happiness. What does the quest look like? Myth number four, you can't be happy and holy. I used to think you can't be a Christian and be happy. 
I looked at other Christians. I had deep belief in the fact that Jesus was who he said he was, but I was sure that the moment I gave my life to Christ, the moment that I made a decision to live into the holiness that I was invited into, which is an ongoing journey for the rest of our lives, but the moment that I made that decision, I I was sure that my life would be void of happiness. It, was, it wasn't until I finally came to the realization at 18 years old that, that my resisting of God was actually keeping me from experiencing deeper levels of happiness, deeper levels of freedom, deeper levels of contentment and fulfillment, deeper levels of purpose. When I gave my life to Christ, and this has been an ongoing process in my life, and I know that many of you in this room could say the same thing, that the longer and the further you go in Christ, the more revealing and opening up he is to the things that we treasure and are in pursuit of most. It is God who gives us purpose. It is God who gives us fulfillment. It is God who brings underlying authentic happiness into our lives. The scripture has a lot of great things to say about happy. Happy is the person whose sins are forgiven. Happy is the person who finds wisdom. Happy is the person who gains understanding. Happy is the person who trusts in the Lord. Happy is the person who is merciful. Happy is the person who is poor in spirit. Happy is the person who keeps God's commandments. Happy is the pure in heart. The truth is, is you can only be totally, authentically happy inside of a relationship with Christ. Short of that, short of pursuit of a holy life, a life right before God, we will be on this quest for something that can't be filled any other way. And myth number five is things can give me sustained happiness. Things, you know. The truth is, is happiness, and Jesus made this really clear, happiness is more about who than what. Now, we remember if we think about when we were little kids, when we were in the backyard or when we maybe went off to elementary school or middle school or even high school, that happiness wasn't so much around the material things that we had. It wasn't driven by that so much. I think one of the things our our younger people, one of the things that they struggle with is earlier and earlier, they become aware of the material world. So uh, indoctrinated are we in consumerism, and it's something that's important for us to help our kids process in a healthy way. There's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing wrong with God blessing you and you having a wonderful place to live and a nice car to drive. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not the issue. The issue is our interiority. The issue is the interiority of our children. But anyway, back in those days, it didn't matter what you had. You, you weren't so bent. Maybe by the time you got to high school, maybe some of you when you were in middle school, it started to affect you like the clothes you were wearing and things like that. But in those early days, it just didn't matter what you had or what your friends had. It was who you were surrounded by. It wasn't about what people had. It was about who they were to you and who you were to them. See, if happiness were about something that we could purchase, we would all have it. We would be going home from church today to spend a little bit of time with that thing that makes us happy because we're all in pursuit. If we could buy it, we would have it. 
we would, we would be on a quest for it. And it wouldn't matter how we treated one another. We could just go buy the happy thing. You know, the happy meal. <laughs> it's the genius of the happy meal. And the only one that's happy is Ronald McDonald. But the, the, the happy meal. The kids aren't even happy with the Happy Meal. All right, we were with our grandchild, a couple of our grandkids the other day, actually all of our grandkids the other day, and uh, we were going to stop. We were on our way back from Grand Rapids. We were going to stop at, um, we were going to stop at Chick-fil-A. And one of the grandkids said, well, I don't want to stop at Chick-fil-A because I don't know what the gift is, what the, the <laughs> thing is. I want to go to, they had decided that Wendy's had the best Wendy's made them happiest, you know, and I thought to myself, I'm, I'm like this too. It's like, you know, my, my Happy Meals just cost more. <laughs> it's caffeine happiness, right? We know it's like we buy the new phone, then once the next new phone comes out, this phone is the old phone and it's no longer making us happy because it does. It could make you happy briefly, right? When you got that car and it smelled good. I got in our car the other day with the grandkids and they said, this car smells, Grandpa. <laughs> and I, you know, I thought I'm resisting, I'm resisting the temptation to buy a better smelling car. I should probably just clean this car, <laughs> even though that doesn't make me happy. Anyway... But, but what, is, what is new now becomes old. Our work, our, our education, our relationships can start to feel old and we want new. But we're after who, not what. If something as it ages reduces your happiness, you probably were not really happy to begin with. In the end, none of us. If something aging reduces our happiness, we probably weren't happy with it to begin with, or we probably weren't happy to begin with. I'm sorry. Now, we all know this. In the end, it's not... When, if you're laying in a hospital bed and it's your last moments of life or your last days of life or you're going through that transition and you know that you're about to enter into eternity in one way or another, none of us is asking for our tools. Could you just bring me those three pairs of shoes? I want to spend a little time with them before this is all over. Can you drag me out in the parking lot so I can sit in my car one more time? my gun collection, whatever, fill in the blank. What we say is, will you please make sure that so-and-so, I can talk with them, that I can make peace, that I can make things right. Jesus put it this way in Luke 10, 27. He was asked by a lawyer, he said, Give us the greatest commandment, the greatest law. Give us the big rule. What's the most important thing? Jesus said this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength and all your heart. Or all your mind, I'm sorry. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God 
who love the Lord your God, be at peace with God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and, which means, and in the same way, love your neighbor, love others, get, get, get your relationships right with others, and love yourself. It's about who we're at peace with. True happiness comes with having peace with God, which enables us to have peace with ourself, which gives us the resources and the ability to have peace with others. This is a happy life. Being at peace with God, being at peace with yourself, and being at peace with others. That's a happy life. John Maxwell said this, he said, family and friendships are two of the greatest facilitators of happiness. So as we move into these six weeks and we think about things like small groups, for instance, life groups, we think about our own relational landscape. See, sometimes we underestimate how important these pieces, we're all in pursuit of a happy life, all of us are. And these components become so critical in that process. How I relate to you and how you relate to me and how you help me come to a place of being at peace with myself and at peace with God. That interaction is absolutely critical. So I just want to, as we move into this six weeks, once again, just encourage you guys, if you haven't had a chance to sign up for a, a small group that you can uh, go to the kiosk after service. Kathleen will give you any information that you need about the different groups. We've got different groups meeting at different times in different geographies, and there's plenty of opportunity for all of us. But my hope for us in this six weeks is that we would lean into happiness, that our quest for living a happy life, our quest for our children and our grandchildren to live the happy life that we desire for them, that we would realize this in a deeper way in the next six weeks. So let's stand and pray. So Father, we're so grateful, so grateful for your presence here, so grateful for your promise of goodness that there's nothing you hold back from us that would be helpful in our lives. So Lord, I bless my friends and I bless this six-week journey we'll be on as we kind of unveil the story of each of our lives in different ways. We pray that you'd speak to us. We pray that we'd receive all that you have for us. And we pray, God, that we would be at peace with you, with ourself, and with others. God bless my friends. We bless this week, and we thank you for it in advance. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Have a great week.